Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church today on the first Sunday of the month of December. Let's begin as we normally do by praying together. Heavenly Father, at the end of this month, we will celebrate the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ, as the Savior of the world. We thank you, Father, that he came and died for us on the cross. And we thank you, Father, that you raised him from the dead. And we thank you also, Father, that by simply believing this truth about your Son, that you have spoken, whoever does that will never perish but has eternal life. And Father, this morning we ask for the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit and everything that will be going on, the fellowshipping with one another, the singing, the prayer, listening to the Word of God, the Lord's Supper, and being challenged as we leave today. Father, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you could stand now, we're going to sing a congregation song. A good one. All right, a couple of announcements as we get started this morning. During Christmas week, we are going to have Sunday morning services, both on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. So we will be having Sunday services on Sunday that, that, that corresponds to Christmas Eve the 24th, New Year's Eve the 31st. Since today is the first Sunday of the month of December, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together at the end of service today. I want to make you aware of something new. We, um, we've, had, we've had this uh, blog. It's been kind of hasn't, we haven't, I haven't used it much lately. But it's there, and we're going to use it for another purpose now. And that is that after service, after each service, we'll be sending out the link to the message. So that you have the video, you have the notes, and so forth. And that will be on the day that it's posted. That will happen. And if you subscribe to the blog in the past, then you're already entered to do that. You may have already received one, as a matter. I hope you have, if, you're, if you were, um, had signed up in the past for the blog. If not... You can do it easily on our website. There again is the home page. And at the, you can see at the bottom on the right, there is something that looks like an envelope and it says subscribe to our blog. So that's what you'll use if you want. Again, if, you're, if, you, if you'd like to have an email reminder that the message is posted. This is particularly useful for people that maybe we're trying to um, get to study the word of God on a regular basis. So you might say, hey, Sign up for this, and then every week you'll get a reminder that the, that the latest message is available. Okay. Once again, also, Grace Bible Church Pakistan is having their 14th annual Christmas Care Package fundraiser. As a reminder, they'll have, they'll have, they're going to be paying for student uniform packages, gifts for their children, and family ration uh, for food that, that families that are poor and need it. Um, you can see the, 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 the prices for each, if you will, the, the amount they'd like to collect for each. They're trying to, re- they're trying to raise $20,000. Last time I checked, they're over halfway there. So that's really good news. Now, if you want to give, you can, you can find, uh, is this still on our latest editions? You, again, on the first page of, the, of our website, you will see under latest editions, GBC Pakistan Christ Care Packages. And if you just click on that, you'll see the three different ways you can contribute, be it mailing a check or money order to the treasurer in Arizona, giving a direct donation through Zelle, if you, if you use that, and the email that you should use is right there too, or PayPal. 
And the best thing to do is to go on their site it's if you want to pay by PayPal. And that, there's a link here on our website to, to that. Okay. Let's begin this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, starting in verse 5. John, chapter 16, verse 5. The title of today's message comes, of course, from this passage in verse 9, verse 8. He will convict the world, the Holy Spirit, concerning sin and righteousness in judgment. So if you would now please turn to John, chapter 16, verse 5. Jesus still in the upper room with his disciples, teaching them. But now I am going to him who sent me. That's his father. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world. Will convict the world. We're going to see that what that word convict means in the Greek this morning. It's really key to understand what's being said here in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. He will convict the world concerning righteousness. He will convict the world concerning judgment. Then he goes on and he specifies the, 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 reason, the, the reason that the world should be convicted of these three things. He says concerning sin because they do not believe in me. He, by the way, we're going to look at this this morning, but he has said as much in his public ministry. And so in a sense, this is recapping elements of his public ministry to the unbeliever, to the world. This is the only ministry of the Holy Spirit to the unbeliever that we find in the Bible. It's the only ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world that we find in the Bible. But even here, ultimately, his purpose is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and to give aid and assistance to the, to the church, here to the disciples, ultimately to the church, regarding the world. We'll see more of that. Again, he will convict the world concerning sin because they don't believe in Jesus. Concerning righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Then, then Jesus returns to the subject of the direct ministry of the Holy Spirit to the disciples, which he's already said it's to his advantage that he leaves them because when the Holy Spirit comes, that's going to be a ministry that will be beyond what Jesus was able to teach them when he was here on earth. That's quite a statement. A lot of people want to say, you know, I just wish I would, had been there when Jesus was walking on the face of the earth. And yet Jesus himself says, it's to your advantage that I've gone to the Father because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He, the spirit, will glorify me the Lord Jesus Christ, 
He, the Spirit, will glorify me, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his ultimate purpose. It, everything he does in all his ministries here on earth is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that Jesus' mission, his purpose, when he came 2,000 years ago, was to glorify his Father. Our purpose is the same. Really, our purpose is to, is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by means of the enabling power and ministry of God the Holy Spirit, both in what we learn about the Lord through the Word of God and what, what we proclaim, again, by the means of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine, Jesus, and disclose it to you. Notice that he glorifies, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by taking of Jesus and disclosing it to the disciples. In other words, in that action and the disciples receiving these things, that's going to glorify Jesus Christ. And that, of course, we are in that picture. When the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the truth about who the Lord Jesus Christ is, it's for the purpose, yes, to build up and edify ourselves, but also to bring that to the world, right? Both by our words and by who we are as a church. At the end of the service today, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper as a body. And the purpose of that is ultimately to proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus. And that's what's being said here, that we're going to we receive things from the Spirit in order to proclaim them, in order for ourselves to be a witness to the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, all things that the Father has are mine, Jesus says. Therefore, I said that the Holy Spirit takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Well, this morning we are continuing to understand what Jesus is saying in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. And we saw last week that these are three basic facts about the human condition. The fact of sin is a fact. We saw that in detail last Sunday. Hopefully I provided enough evidence that you, not only that you understand and the, that the world is full of sin, that there's a fact that pervades the human race entirely, but also that that shouldn't be enough evidence for the world, as it were, to accept that truth. And the fact that they don't, of course, is a, is a sense of mystery explained by the fact that the, that, the, that the God of this world has blinded them. And that hence the necessity for the ministry of the Spirit to convict them, to convince them, to shame them to a certain degree as well. We'll see more of that. The fact of sin, the fact of righteousness, the fact that righteousness exists, the fact that God is perfectly righteous and the sinner is not. Right? And then finally, the fact of judgment, because God has provided the answer to sin that will, that will result in those who believe in Jesus Christ being declared righteous. At the cross, Jesus, as it were, satisfied the righteousness of God. And so now that that's been demonstrated and taught, now any individual unbeliever, quote, the world, hearing that message being ministered to by the Holy Spirit. By the way, that, that's mostly through the words that the, that the disciples are going to go out there and proclaim, those words, as well as, of course, us today. And then, as always, the Holy Spirit will take the word of God and, and convict, in this case, the unbeliever. And if they hear that and they hear the gospel and believe it, then they're declared righteous. 
If they don't, there's but one thing left for them, and that's judgment. And so these are facts. These are basically the facts that define the human condition without Christ. Sin, lack of righteousness, and full of sin. Empty of righteousness, as we saw last week, and then facing the judgment. Right? It's a picture of an animal with its mouth wide open. And it's sort of like you're rolling down a hill and the lion's at the bottom of the hill, like that. And the only thing is that if you get rescued out of your fallen sin, and then you, you avoid the judgment that awaits. If not, you know, the momentum is going full tilt into that looming judgment. And yet the world doesn't accept any of this, although it's been revealed to the world. In, in, the, in, in the letter of Romans, verse chapter 1, Right? Paul says that they should have known about God because even creation declares the power and sovereignty of God. So there's something wrong with the human race that rejects all of that. It's ungodly, pushes God away, and therefore unrighteous, unholy. So these three things mark out, as it were, the extent of the bad news concerning man of this world without Christ, defining the nature of of the darkness that of humans without God, lifeless, full of sin, empty of righteousness, and facing the gaping jaws of a looming judgment. Last week, we saw that first statement, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. We looked at the reality of sin in this world. But today, we're going to look at these four verses as a unit. Because as a whole, they describe the one and only ministry of the Holy Spirit to unbelievers, to the world. This is the only one. If, any, if you go anywhere else in the New Testament, indeed in the Old Testament, and you, and you um, identify passages about the Holy Spirit, they're never to the unbeliever. They're always to the to believers, to disciples, to the church. This is the only place that where that's where there's a description of the ministry of the Spirit to the young believer. We're going to take a look at that. We're going to see a sketch, as it were, of this one ministry of the Spirit regarding unbelievers. But this morning, we're going to begin with the Greek word for that for convict. Now, we usually, we don't always go to the Greek in every lesson or in every verse. Sometimes it's necessary. Because if you look at one of the clues to saying I'd better look at the Greek on this passage is if you were to look at several translations of that passage and you notice differences. Also, here we have three different elements of the conviction, and they're different. What do I mean by that? Well, the world is convicted of sin. That's something about them. But also convicted of righteousness. That's not something about them. That's something about God. So the meaning is going to be different there. And then judgment is, is a warning about something that hasn't happened yet. So you have, here's your situation. Here's the problem. God is righteous and you're not. And then here's what's going to happen if, if nothing changes in your situation. So because those three things are different, the, the meaning of this word convict actually has three meanings. One for verse 9, one for verse 10, and one for verse 11. And therefore, we've got to check out the Greek for that. And we're going to do that right now. So again, the Greek word for convict is elencho. Elencho. And we're going to look at the definitions this morning. 
as several different meanings. In other words, if you were to study this word in, in the Greek lexicons, which is nothing more than definitions of a Greek word in the English language, you would find more than one definition. And we saw this last time, a while back actually, with, with the word the helper, talking about the Holy Spirit. We saw the Greek for that word, parakletos. And we saw that it had several different meanings. And, 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 and so it has versatile, if you want to look at it this way. And as a result, in different passages, it's translated differently. But no one word captures the full meaning. Okay? Here, again, we have just one word spoken. But it, because it's spoken in terms of three very different things, the meaning changes depending on which thing is being, quote, convicted. Elenko. Let me give you the five definitions, more or less in a sequence. First of all, it means to bring to light or to expose. There's something hidden in the darkness, and the Holy Spirit brings that to light. Exposes what? Exposes the fact of sin. Brings the fact of sin to light. Jesus one time said that, how great is your darkness when you think you're in the light. Why? Because you're deceived. See, it's hidden. It needs to be exposed. So that's the first meaning of this Greek word. The second one follows along to provide proof of wrongdoing, provide evidence of a wrongdoing. So in other words, here it starts to look at this word from the point of view of the Holy Spirit in court. Right? The Holy Spirit is in court presenting a case against the world. And that case is to provide proof of their wrongdoing, evidence of their wrongdoing. Fantastic place to see Paul. this Holy Spirit lay this out is in the book of Romans, right? Chapters 1, 2, and 3. There he builds a case, first against the Gentiles, then against the Jews, and he packages it all together, and he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This meaning of Elenco drives at that, providing proof or evidence of wrongdoing. Three, now, so now that he's brought this to light, he's presented it as evidence. Now the next meaning of it, and again, it follows along, is to bring a person to the point of recognizing his wrongdoing. Right? The English, we use that word in the English, don't we? Right? We want a person to be convicted, what? To recognize their wrongdoing. Okay, that's the third meaning of this word. And it's, of course, it applies to John 16, 8 through 11. Because in a sense, that's the reason that the Holy Spirit is convicting the world, right? Jesus said, I haven't come to judge the world. I've come to save it. And so, so the Holy Spirit will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry to the world to try to convince those in the world, whoever will listen, that they need a savior. The, the end in view, in terms of the Holy Spirit's motivation isn't to judge them, it's to save them. To bring a person to the point of recognizing his wrongdoing. Then four, to express strong disapproval of someone's actions. By the way, this is probably the most frequent meaning of this word in the Gospels. Jesus will use this word to rebuke. Okay? It means to express that disapproval of somebody's actions, to rebuke or to reproach. And then five, to penalize for wrongdoing. And again, this, of course, corresponds to the judgment, to convict the world that they're going to be penalized 
as it were, for their wrongdoing if they don't believe in Christ. And that's, that's, that's the truth, you know. Jesus talked about this a lot. He would talk about the fact that there's going to be a resurrection. Some, a resurrection of life. Others, a resurrection of judgment. It's a reality. Those who do not believe in Jesus Christ will be penalized for their wrongdoing, ultimately for one sin, and that's the sin of not believing in Jesus Christ. But even there, at this point, that penalty hasn't been administered yet. Okay, so even here, it's sort of in advance, the Holy Spirit, by the way, working through the church primarily, although not exclusively, is trying to convince the world, wake the world up, that there's a judgment coming. You know, Paul does this in the book of Acts, chapter 19, with the, with the, uh, with the unbelievers in Athens, where he's basically saying, he says, the Lord has fixed the day when he will judge the world through the one that he has designated. Of course, that one is the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's warning after warning after warning in the Bible about the coming judgment. But that warning is never to the believer. We don't come into judgment if we believe in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1, there is, what, no condemnation. There's no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're beyond that, right? We're beyond that. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we have passed out of death into life. There's no judgment for us. There is for those who remain in their unbelief because they remain under the wrath of God, which is real. And then if nothing changes, then they will be judged. Ultimately, as we're going to see in a little while, they're going to be judged just like the God of this world is judged. Those in the world who remain in the world in the sense of under the rulership of Satan will ultimately receive the same judgment that Satan is going to receive. And we'll see that in the book of Revelation in a little while. Okay, so those are the five different meanings. Let me go back, give them to you one more time after I've described them. Five meanings of this Greek word, elenko. To bring to light or expose something's hidden that needs to be brought to life, to light. Basically, here the direct application is to the world in sin. Two, to provide proof or evidence of wrongdoing, to as it were assemble the facts and present that. Here, by the way, here is to the world, but it's also to the to the disciples. Why? Because they're the ones that are going to be carrying this out. So they need to be armed with the truth that could convince the unbeliever of wrongdoing, providing proof, providing evidence. Three, to then bring a person to the point of recognizing his undoing. Now here's where we separate this world into those who will come to the point of recognizing that they're sinners and those who won't. But the Holy Spirit's purpose is for this to happen. And then four, to express strong disapproval of someone's actions, to rebuke to reproach. By the way, this is the King James translation in our passage, right? To reproach, to rebuke the world. And then finally, the judgment, to penalize for wrongdoing with the goal of improvement. Improvement. All right. So again, John 3, 16. John 16, 8 to 11. I love John 3, 16, but that's not what we're talking about here. John 16, 8 to 11, again, the Spirit is dealing with three things. He's dealing with, the, he's, he's dealing of the Holy Spirit, as it were, elenkoing, how do you like that one? The world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. 
And, and it, for each of those cases, this word takes on a different meaning. It means something different for each one. In other words, what it means, what the Holy Spirit is doing in the way of elenchoing, if you want to use the Greek word, when it comes to the righteousness of God, is different from what he's doing in the issue of sin and different from what he's doing in the issue of judgment. So this word is flexible. And even though it's mentioned once, it's used in three different ways. That's the point. Okay. Again, I want to emphasize that what we have here, when the Holy Spirit convicts the world, the world now of sin and righteousness and judgment, is the only ministry of the Spirit to the unbeliever. It's the only one. If you, if you were to look anywhere else, I've mentioned this, I want to emphasize it again. You go into the rest of the get a concordance of the Spirit, and look where he has ministries to people. And you will find all, all kinds of ministries to the disciples, to the church, to the body of Christ. Only find one to the unbeliever. And it's right here in John 16, verses 8 to 11. All right, by the way, not only is this the only ministry to the world, even here, the goal of the Spirit is ultimately to the glory of Jesus Christ. We're going to see in just a moment that Jesus relates each of these three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment, to his person and work. So there's there's this manner in which the Holy Spirit goes about convicting the world, and he lines it up against the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what you have in each of these three verses. Concerning sin, concerning sin why? Because they do not believe in me, right? Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged and he's judged at the cross of Jesus Christ. So, Ultimately, the Holy Spirit's work to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and empower the disciples. After all, in in, in John 14 through 16, Jesus, except here, is describing the Spirit as what? The helper, the one who comes alongside to assist. To assist who? The disciples and now us. And that, so, so even when he's talking about the world, we can't forget his two main purposes right here. And that is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and then to, as here, as it were, arm the disciples with the truth about the world because they're going to need to know that as they go forward as a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and his person and work. So the point, very simply, the ultimate purpose of the Spirit is to glorify not himself, but Christ. This is where Pentecostals, for example, go wrong. Why? Because they're, all their focus is on this Holy Spirit himself, right? And that's not the, why the Holy Spirit comes. He doesn't come to glorify himself or to bring attention to himself at all. He comes to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 16, verse 14. John 16, 14. We've seen this already this morning. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? John 16, 14. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, the Lord Jesus Christ. His purpose is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. How will he do it? He will, all things have been given to Jesus from the Father. The Father, the Holy Spirit now receives those things 
about Jesus, his teaching, his work, his person, and discloses it to the disciples. The purpose, ultimately, of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in his ministry to the world, his ultimate purpose is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, each element in verses 8 through 11, there's three, right? Sin, righteousness, judgment. Each of those has to be seen in view, sort of held up against the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's really the method that, that, that the Spirit uses to convict the world and that we are to use. When, when we go to, let's say, to expose sin or to convince somebody that they're sinners, we should do that in contrast to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And to say the issue here you know, is not your sins even of, the, of themselves. The issue here is that you recognize that Jesus Christ has died for your sins. Similarly with righteousness. The issue is the righteousness of God being demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. But also that God is righteous and we're not. So it's one thing to convince people, you know what, you're a sinner. Okay, yeah, I'm a bad person, they're bad people. So what? Well, the so what is that God is holy. God is righteous. And, and sin, therefore, is an attack, an affront to the very righteousness of God, to his holiness. That's the real problem with sin, as it were. That's the real grossness of it. Now, we look at it as human beings and we say, man, how could anyone steal? Man, how could anyone kill somebody? So on a human level, we look at that and say that's wrong. But from God's point of view, all sin is an attack on his holiness. That's the real ultimate nature of sin. So, so when a person understands that they are violating the, what God considers to be holy, right, that is a sin or a trespass, okay? And that's why, you know, uh, that's why you'll find that, for example, again, Paul will say that, that even those who were not, who did not commit a sin in the likeness of Adam still face the death, right? What is he saying? He's saying Adam sinned knowing what, the, what God's holiness said, right? Well, the Gentiles didn't necessarily do that because they didn't have a revelation. They didn't have the Ten Commandments revealed to them. So they're in a different category than Adam in that sense. They didn't have right in front of them directly, God says this, and then do the opposite, okay? That's the ultimate nature of sin. So again, each and every element and John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11, should be seen in view of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read the passage again together. John chapter 16, 8 to 11. John 16, 8 to 11. And he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, by the way, he will come with power at Pentecost, after Jesus goes to be back to the Father and is glorified up in heaven, then the Holy Spirit comes. And the first big event of the Holy Spirit coming is Pentecost, when the, when the disciples were locked in a room, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and everything changes. 
Now we see once the Holy Spirit is inside them and ministering to them, now they do what's talked about here. They go out and they witness to the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so the Holy Spirit is coming, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, but not in and of itself. The real issue with sin is that a person doesn't believe in Christ. Let me say that again. The real and only issue with sin now, that Jesus, now that Jesus Christ has satisfied God's righteousness concerning all the sins of the world. So, so in and of itself, sin has been dealt with, hasn't it? The issue is no longer the individual sins anybody commits. Rather, it's rejecting the blood of Christ. No, not accepting, not believing that Jesus Christ is their Savior. That's, that's what makes sin eminently sinful, as it were. Concerning sin, because line it up with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Con- concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. We see the same thing in verse 10. Concerning righteousness, okay, no, now here no longer is it just an issue of God's holiness in and of itself, but also when you, when you come and say, look how short all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? Jesus himself said, why do you call me good? There is only one good, and that's God in heaven. He was talking about, of course, their, their wrong perception of him because he is God. But his point was there's only one who is holy, and that's God. Jesus told his disciples one time, he says, you need to be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Well, that's a gaping, gaping hole, isn't it? To me, if nothing else, if somebody who is a student of the scriptures just goes to that one statement, you have to be, here's the deal. God's saying you have to be as perfect as he is. Or else. Mike, how does an unbeliever respond to that? Well, of course, the only, the only rational thing is I will never be as perfect as God. There's an infinite gap between me as a sinner and God and his holiness. Something's got to happen to bridge that. Otherwise, I'm lost forever, okay? Concerning righteousness. Now, here's the interesting part of this. To me, the most fascinating to me this time around is verse 10. Concerning righteousness because, what? I go to the Father and you no longer see me. So again, lining up this issue of God's righteousness versus man's sin against the fact that Jesus is going back to his Father and you, the disciples, will no longer see me. What is he saying? He's saying, well, Jesus is the flashing forth of the righteousness of God. He's the light that enlightens every man in this world. But now he's going to the Father. You see it? And you, even the disciples, no longer see him. Therefore, we have to rely on the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be able first to understand this issue of the righteousness of God versus the sinfulness of man and then go out and preach it. I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And then verse 11, concerning judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world has been judged. You see, see the undeniable evidence that there will be a judgment for man that remains in the world under the rulership of Satan is the fact that that ruler himself has been judged. In other words, the one they're following has already been judged 
to be a liar and a murderer and the source of temptation and other things as well. He's already been judged. And here you are following along. Yep, that's my leader. That's my leader. But if you say, you know what? This guy's already been judged. He's been taken out. He's been called for what he is. And if you keep following him, guess what's going to happen? You're going to, be, you're going to face the same judgment that he already has been, has been convicted of, as it were, in a real court sense. Well, in Jesus' public ministry to the world, he actually talks about these things particularly sin and judgment, often, often. Okay, and so that's why in in verse 10, when he's saying, I go to the Father and you no longer see me, what he's saying is, when I was here, I did convict the world, but now that I'm leaving, now it's your turn. Let's look at the first one, concerning sin. Where did Jesus, as it were, challenge, convict, rebuke the world for sin? Because of sin. Well, we're going to look at three passages, all in the Gospel of John, in order to see this. The point being that he certainly himself convicted the world of sin, provided evidence, rebuked, warned, mentioned judgment in connection with sin. John 8, 21. Then he said to them, in context, these are the unbelieving Pharisees and elders of the, in, in the worldly unbeliever in the Jewish nation. Then he said again to them, I go away and you, will not, and you will seek me. And what? You will die in your sin. I go away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So here Jesus is convicting the world concerning sin. He's saying, if nothing changes, you're going to die in your sin. I'm going to go away, and it'll be too late. Jesus told the world this over and over again in his public ministry. The hour is fast approaching when I will no longer be here. And when I'm gone, you've had your opportunity to to understand who I am. And you either say yes or no. You will die in your sin. Notice here he's telling them the same thing that he's telling now the disciples. He's going away. He told them the same thing. Okay, let's continue. Look at John chapter 9, verses 39 to 41. Let's go forward to John chapter 9, verses 39 to 41. In other words, this what we read about in in verses 8 to 11 in John chapter 16, that had been Jesus' ministry to the world. But now since he's going away, He will no longer be conducting that ministry. Therefore, the Holy Spirit has to come afterwards. When Jesus is in heaven, he's no longer ministering to the world, ministering to us as believers, not to the world. Therefore, Father sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now is now glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ here in the world. And so now it's his work to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, look at, how, look at how Jesus put it to the world, as it were, in John chapter 9, 39 to 41. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see. Right? The first meaning of elenco is to bring to light that which was hidden. Right? To reveal. 
and that those who see may become blind. For judgment, notice he mentions judgment here. I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, that those who see may become blind. Verse 40. Those of the Pharisees, the world, who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. In other words, if you you are blind in the sense of haven't had opportunity to realize that you're a sinner, okay, and you hear the truth, and believe it, then you have no sin. It's been dealt with. However, if you say to yourself, I see already. Lord, I don't need a Savior. I don't need to be, to be rebuked by God's word. I already see. I'm, I, I'm in the light. I see. But of course, how great is your darkness when you think you're in the light? Right? Your sin remains. Verse John 15 now. Look at John 15, 18 to 25. The main point here is that Jesus often convicted the world about sin. John 15, 18 to 25. Talking to his disciples now, preparing them to go out into the world. And he's going to say, listen, the same way that the world treated me, they're going to treat you. So you better be ready. And he says, but I have armed you. I have empowered you with the Holy Spirit that purpose. Notice verse 18. If the world hates you, and they will, you know that it has hated me, Jesus, before it hated you. Verse 19. If you were of if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Because you're not of the world. You see, if of the world, that's the unbeliever under the rulership of Satan, they love it. They love their own. They love, you know, Paul will say not only do they do these things, but they give hearty approval to others who do the same thing. Right? That's one part of the deception of sin is that not only are you doing it, but you're really excited about somebody else doing it also. That's how blind they are. The world would love itself. But because you're not of the world, see that? I chose you out of the world. That's great news. All right, why? Because you don't come into the judgment of the ruler of this world. But at the same time, since we're still living in this world, interacting with it, we need to understand <laughs> that because Jesus took us out, made us his own, the world's going to hate us. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and they did, they will also persecute you, and they will. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Here we see this dividing ministry of the Holy Spirit through the body of Christ, through the disciples. Why do I say these things? Well, because he's saying, look, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. See, that's a whole division of the world, persecuting Christ and now persecuting his body, his church, his disciples. On the other hand, there's a minority who kept Jesus' word when he was here and now they're going to, he's going to, those people are going to keep the disciples' word, which, of course, comes from the Holy Spirit. And, that, and you know what? That word is, is got more in it that the, that the brethren understand now. Jesus is going to say, listen, there's things that you can't bear now. I'm not going to tell you them. 
But when the Spirit comes, He will lead you to all truth. So they will come on the scene and preach the truth that's been revealed to them. And those who kept Jesus' word will keep theirs also. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me, the Father. Now here's the key when it comes to sin, what he's saying. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. If Jesus had not come and spoken to the world, they would not have sinned. Now, did they commit sins? Of course. But if he hadn't come to them, revealed the truth to them, then they would not have sinned in the sense of, again, what's, what's the ultimate problem with sin? It's, a, it's an affront to the righteousness of God. It's people saying, I know the truth about God, what he says about this and about me, but I'm rejecting it, Right? If they haven't been told, then there's nothing to reject. If I hadn't come and spoken to them, they would not have sin in that sense. Right? The one sin of unbelief. You can't have the sin of unbelief if you've never been given an opportunity to believe. If there's nothing presented to you to believe in. Right? But now that Jesus has come, they have no excuse for the sin of unbelief. He who hates me hates my father also. So this is a very powerful time when Jesus convicts the world about sin. And again, notice it's in reference to himself. He's saying, if I hadn't told you the truth, that you're a sinner and that God is holy and that there's a judgment coming, okay, you wouldn't have that sin. You wouldn't be in the category of those who've rejected the truth and rejected me. But I have told you, and now you have no excuse. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works, which no one else did. That was another way in, in which Jesus was trying to work on them, convince them that he is the son of God, right? His works. If they had not done among them the works. If I had not done among them the works, which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. They have seen. Jesus says to the disciples, Go now forward to John, John 16, verse 10 again. John 16, 10. That last verse we were on, he said, Listen, they have both seen and hated me and my Father as well. They have seen Jesus now. Jesus is the flashing forth of the glory of God. He's the word made flesh. He's the light of the world. And they saw him. And they hated him. And therefore they hated the father. And the father is holy. And they hated the one who was holy. Therefore they were, they rejected the holiness of God. Ultimately by rejecting Jesus and not looking at him. So that's the second statement, right? Concerning righteousness. Look at John 16, 10. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. But I want you to notice something very interesting about verse 10. Jesus now brings his disciples into view. In other words, he's making a statement about righteousness. And then he, then he, talks, then he brings the disciples into that picture. Why is that interesting? Well, it's because you would expect, right, 
if, if that word convict means the same thing in verse 10 as it means in verse 9, you would have expected not to say, because I go to the Father and you no, you no longer see me, the disciples. You would expect him to have said, because I go to the Father and they no longer see me. So that's notable. Why would he not say, why would he say you don't see me rather than they don't see me? Now, of course, it's true that the world will no longer see him. He just, we just saw a passage where he told the world that. I'm about to go to the Father. You're not going to see me anymore. Yet, here in verse 10, Jesus talks about the fact that the disciples will no longer see him. I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Well, why would he bring the disciples in? Why would he turn the focus away for this one place from the world and to the disciples? Let's step back for a minute. He's talking about convicting the world concerning righteousness. And we've seen already that the world is first convinced of their sin, or should be. Enough evidence has been presented that the world is clearly indicted for being, for being sin, right? And then sin, of course, is an affront to the righteousness of God. That's what makes it sin. Sin becomes utterly sinful because God and his law has declared it so. It's an affront to the very righteousness of God. It's an offense against God. There's that gaping hole. However, let's relate that now to Jesus Christ, to the purpose of the Spirit's ministry. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ vindicated and, and satisfied the righteousness of God at the cross. So, he, so here's the issue. God's holy. Man is sinful. There's an infinite gap. But Christ took care of that. He vindicated the righteousness of God. The word of, the word of God talks about it as, as a big fancy word called propitiation. What that really means is that Jesus in his death on his cross, his blood satisfied all the claims that God has against the whole human race. But this happened after Jesus ended his ministry to the world. So, so the, the full truth, the full meaning of what happens at the cross, Jesus never told the world that. And in fact, the disciples didn't understand it. I mean, the unbeliever looked at that, that day when Jesus went to the cross and said, well, yep, he must be a criminal. He must be a fraud. I guess the elders and the Pharisees are right. right? So the world certainly didn't. Not only did they not recognize who Jesus was, they clearly didn't recognize that he, in fact, in his death, completely satisfied all the claims of God and his holiness against the human race. That would have been unimaginable to the young believer at that time. It would have been unimaginable, by the way, to the disciples at that time. Well, how do we know that? We know it for one reason, and that is that the Spirit revealed that truth to apostles, one in particular, after Jesus, yeah, Paul, after Jesus was up with the Father. So that means it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to, 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 to present this message that Jesus Christ vindicated the righteousness of God at the cross. God's righteousness had been offended by sin. Jesus died for the sin of the world and therefore vindicates the righteousness of God. God didn't overlook sin. He judged it at the cross in the body of Christ. 
The wrath of God came upon Christ as he bore the sins of the world. Not because God was angry at Christ, but because God's wrath had to judge the sin of the world. But again, that happened after Jesus ended his ministry to the world. They didn't hear that, as it were. They only would hear that afterwards. When, when, whoops, afterwards, when the uh, apostle, when the Holy Spirit reveals it to, first of all, the apostles, and of course also to us. You can see I'm having some trouble here. My mouse is not behaving. Well, so, again, this happened after. Might need some help up here, guys. You know, it's just something stupid that I'm doing that's wrong. I don't know. I don't know where it is. Maybe I know. I don't have enough room. Wait a minute. Can I do that? Here, your turn. <laughs> no, I want the. I want it to be on the message. Thanks. I've been here ten minutes, spinning that mouse around. Mark's like, why see? We need each other. <laughs> we do. Right? That's why it's important that we get together. Because if I were just on the computer at home, I'd be like, I don't know what's going on. This is it. We're done with the message. Have a great day. The Spirit then, because this happened. What happened? Jesus at the cross vindicated the righteousness of God had not been revealed in Jesus' public ministry. Only revealed afterwards. And that, therefore, the work of the Spirit. He's the one who carries the ball with this message of the righteousness of God being satisfied by the death of Christ on the cross. There we go. How does he do that? Huh? Well, that would be good, too. Thank you for that reminder. That's even easier. I don't need a mouse. So the spirit carries the ball. He's the one who takes this message to the world. And that's what this says. It says that, 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 that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness. And righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father, and you, the disciples even, no longer see me. So the Holy Spirit has to come on the scene and now bring this message of God's righteousness being satisfied at the cross. Bring that message to the world. Why? Because, you know what? Sin and righteousness of itself, again, leaves mankind hopeless. But God took care of that. And that's the message of the gospel that goes out. All right? Who does that? The Spirit does. How does he do it, though? See, the Holy Spirit doesn't directly speak to the world, does it? It doesn't have a radio station. Right? It doesn't have an Internet web page. Right? It's certainly not through the rules of this world. It's through the body of Christ, the church. We now are revealing things about God, not only to the unbeliever, but even to the angels. We're the the broadcast system for the Holy Spirit's messages. What does that mean? It means very simply that now the disciples are confronting the world with the fact of what happened at the cross. Now the church. See, when we see the disciples, we can translate that over. Because this ministry continues. We are ambassadors for Christ. As, with, as if God were making an appeal through us. Now it is true that there is a special gift given to certain members of the body of evangelism. 
Okay, but it's us as a group. It's the you know even the even the gift of evangelism is a gift to the body of Christ. Because the, that gift allows us to fulfill our our ministry, our responsibility to get the the truth about the cross out. The disciples in the church now carry confront the world. How does it work? Well, the t- the Holy Spirit first taught the disciples, right, what to say and what to write. <laughs> He, as it were, directly inspired them, directly. Okay, he did, as it were, speak directly to John and Peter and G, uh, Paul. But since then, he teaches his message through the Word of God. It's the importance of the Word of God. Right? The Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to write the Word of God, and since then, he's, he's used the Word of God to broadcast this message to the world, he teaches the church, and then they become the witness. All right, one more concerning judgment. Man, I talk too much. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. That's the third element here, the third, third leg of the stool, right? Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Jesus talked to the world about judgment. Look at John chapter 12, verse 30. John 12, 30. In other words, he told the same thing to the world that now the Holy Spirit comes on the scene and does concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Notice John 12, 30 to 33. Jesus answered and said, this voice, this is God the Father actually speaking audibly, has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now that Jesus Christ is going to the cross, judgment's upon the whole world of unbelievers. The ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, that is on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. But he was saying by this to indicate the death, the kind of death by which he was to die. Here's the point. The ruler of this world has been judged. The ruler of this world was judged at the cross. He's judged at the cross. God, through through the death of Christ, the blood of Christ, had a victory over the principalities and powers, including Satan himself at the cross. So since that's true of the ruler, it's also true of the whole world of unbelievers. They're going to face the same judgment as their ruler. Look at, look at Revelation 20.10. People love to go in Revelation. Here we go. Revelation 20.10. Jesus warned the unbeliever about judgment. He said that the same judgment that that, that will come upon Satan, the devil, the ruler of this world, will come upon them if they don't believe in Christ. Revelation 20.10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, ever and ever. And in the same way, 
that the ruler of this world is judged, so too those who remain in the world will be judged in the same manner. In fact, right after this, that's exactly what, what John in Revelation writes. Right? He says that if anyone basically does not have the names written in the book of life, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. Same judgment. Well, I need to stop there because we've got to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But there's more here. I probably will bring this to, to view next week. Because Jesus, even at this, you know, Jesus talks about judgment. And he says, all you've got to do is believe and you'll never be judged. He says, but light's come into this world. Those who love the darkness, they hate the light because they're doing evil and they don't want the light to expose them. On the other hand, those who practice the truth come to the light. Anyone who simply believes in Jesus Christ does not come into judgment. All right. And that's what the Holy Spirit is, is, is ministering through the church to get the unbeliever to understand that. That they've sinned, they've fallen short of the glory of God. They need to understand that Jesus Christ satisfied the righteousness of God. But that's the only provision for our salvation, the blood of Christ. Anybody who refuses to believe in Christ, therefore, has rejected the only way for them to be saved. That's why they face judgment. All right, let's close in prayer. And we will get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, what a perfect message to prepare us for celebrating the Lord's Supper when we bring into remembrance the death of the Lord, when we, re- when we, we see why he took flesh. What happened? What did he need his body to do? Why, did he ble- why was he bleeding on the cross? What did the blood of Christ mean? And then to understand that we are here to broadcast that message. Help us, Father, to to listen today, participate, so that we do become better equipped as a body to do that work. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, this time let's prepare the communion elements. Well, it's Christmas time. That's why we sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're going to take a look at the passage from which that hymn was actually written. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. I'm going to read it to you now. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news, the gospel of great joy, which will be for all the people, the world. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
The birth of Christ means that the Savior is in the world. He is also the Messiah, the Christ, and he is Lord. He's God, God's only son. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The angels told those shepherds that baby Jesus is their savior. Jesus was born. Why was he born? To save the world. He's the savior of all men. This is what connects Christmas with the Lord's Supper. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, and that all of us who believe might receive the adoption as sons. That baby grew up to die for our sins so that all of us who believe become adopted sons. This gives hope to every human being. It gives hope to every new baby that's born. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for them too. Now, of course, when they're born, they can't understand the gospel, but someday they'll hear it. And when they do, they have an opportunity to become an adopted child of God. Jesus says, right, in the Lord's Supper that the bread is his body, which is given up for us, for you and for me and all people. This answers the question, why did Jesus, why was he born in a human body? And the reason is, is because he bore the sins of the world, yours and mine and everybody else's, in his physical, fleshly, human body on the cross. After supper, Jesus takes the cup and he says, this is my blood. His blood is the perfect sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Jesus now, only mediator between God and man. He's a man. And he's also Christ, the Messiah. And he's also, he's also, of course, Jesus, as well as God. But, in the, but him being the mediator between men and God really emphasizes his humanity. He is the one and only one who is pleasing in and of himself to God the Father. It's he. God the Father reconciles us in the fleshly body of Jesus Christ through his death so that we, along with the angels, can proclaim that God and sinners are truly reconciled through Jesus Christ. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, the body of Christ, proclaim the message, proclaim the Lord's death and all that it meant all that it meant to the righteousness of God, all that it means to every sinner, all of that, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you this morning 
for feeding us with your word, for, for having us remember through the Lord's Supper with the bread and the cup. Remember Jesus Christ, our Savior, that it is in his body that he took on the judgment for all the sins of the world. It's by his blood, his death, that, that he has satisfied your perfect holiness and that there's an opportunity for each and every individual to be permanently reconciled with you through faith in Christ. As we leave today, Father, help us to take on that mantle as a body of, of, of bearing the witness of the truth of sin and righteousness and judgment. But help us always to put that in view of the amazing person and complete work of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this all in his name, Jesus' name. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Next up, Thursday at 6.30, we're having Bible study. Hope as many of you can, many of you who can join us in person. I really hope that some more of you join us in person. Right? We, we need more people that come. See, that's, see, the thing about the body of Christ is we have to minister to one another. That's why, you know, during COVID, we toyed with the idea of maybe we'll just do online for a while. That is not the body of Christ, though. That may be some teaching, but the body of Christ happens through, through our interaction with one another, right? Our ministering to one another. And that happens on Thursday every bit as much as on Sunday. So please try to join us if you can. Yes, you can come online. It's on, it's on um, not Skype. Skype? Yeah. 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 It's on Skype, so you can join us that way. It's really easy to go on the website and do that as well. All right, let's close in prayer now. Father, thank you again this day. We thank you for all of this. We thank you for the fact that we've, we've realized the truth about our sinfulness and that we've also realized the tremendous declaration and believe that your son died for our sins and was raised again. And Father, we also ask now that we would be motivated by the future judgment to proclaim these truths to, our, to the people in the world who desperately, desperately need to have their eyes opened. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.